Iveson puts a summer transit shutdown on the Tabor. This week, it turns out I actually won an election, adding yet another piece of proof that the most effective path to democratic victory is election fraud. Plus, the COVID state of emergency continues, despite more and more openings and maybe even some hockey. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 86. I don't have anything on the off the top segment this week. Mac, what do you have to say off the top? It's raining. It's pouring. I'm happy about this. I have allergies. So sorry to everyone who's wanting summer sun, but I'm, I'm happy for some cleanliness. I think a Fort McMurray fire is also the last thing we need right now. Absolutely. So kudos yep. on the rain, nature. You do you. On to the rapid fire. 40% of the workers at Edmonton International Airport will be laid off as EIA is slated to move 2.7 million passengers this year, down from over 8 million last year. The not-for-profit corporation issued a release extolling the sadness and difficulty of the decision, but encouraged would-be travelers that they don't need to go to another country to get a unique experience. Just go to the Premium Outlet Collection Edmonton International Airport, where you can visit one-of-a-kind world-class shops like Gap, Adidas, Old Navy, and KFC. The release concludes by saying, quote, Please come. Gas is cheap now. It's all we have left. Council's decision to allow alcohol consumption in public parks has been delayed indefinitely after already being put off in early March. The first delay was to allow for more information on the province's plan to loosen restrictions on drinking in public parks. And the second delay, the indefinite one, is due to COVID-19. Most council and committee meetings have been cancelled through June 15th, giving the councillors much more free time, which several plan to use to drink, in private of course. The remainder, who didn't plan on drinking the time away, have still ended up drinking anyway, as a coping mechanism, after reading Mike Nichols' Twitter feed. The Canada-US border will remain closed for another month, as reopening provinces have expressed extreme reticence to allow inbound US travel. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced the extension this week, saying that it was a mutually agreed decision with Canada not wanting to open itself up to the new epicenter of the pandemic, a state that many ascribe to the critical mishandling of the situation by Donald Trump. However, the U.S. also allegedly desired the extension, wanting to avoid Canadians, quote, beady little eyes and flapping heads so full of lies, end quote, and, quote, they're not even a real country anyway. Gotta love South Park. And I did a very Canadian thing off the top, didn't I? Talking about the weather right away. I guess things are getting back to normal. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by Inventures Unbound, the ultimate platform for innovators, investors, and industry to share, inspire, and interconnect virtually. Even in these times of distancing, connection and innovation are more important than ever. Inventures Unbound is brought to you by Alberta Innovates to ensure that innovators have opportunities to connect with ideas, investors, and industries from within our borders and reaching far beyond. Join the launch of a virtual community with live stream events June 3rd and 4th. The opening keynote is renowned neuroscientist Tali Sherritt, who will speak on how innovators and investors can harness optimism and vastly improve their decision-making skills. If you have a pass to Inventures 2020, then you already have access to all of Unbound's goodies. And if you'd like to get access to just Unbound, there's a pass for that at adventurescanada.com. So I won 
you won. Congratulations. Well, Addy won, I guess. <laughs> His successes are my successes. So fair enough. I, yeah, I said after we closed down the end of last week's episode that I really didn't think I had it in the bag, not the least of which because Ellie in the last episode had mentioned that we'd be very surprised by the outcome. Right. And I was sure Addy had won. So naturally, the only surprise I could experience was that he lost. Right. Turns out he won. Yeah. Well, I was surprised. I would, you know, when we were talking after the recording last week, it did not cross my mind that we might end up with the result that we did, which is a dog and a cat co-presidents. Yeah, I gotta say I'm a little bit disappointed with that part. If I had a sole presidency here, you could bet I'd be down at that bulletin board every week pinning up presidential decrees. Yeah. Now I have to like work with my cohort government to uh to get those done. He won anyway. And this story has been the gift that keeps on giving. Uh <laughs> The story doesn't end just because we won. And it was yesterday morning. We're recording Thursday evening. So Wednesday morning, I was on 630 Ched uh, with Shay Ganim and Chelsea Bird doing the morning show with my co-president, uh, Tuna's owner. And I got to say, when you're doing interviews beforehand, the pre-recorded stuff, I always include political zingers because I, this is a politics show I, I'm familiar with provincial and local politics yeah but they always get cut because for natural reasons they don't want to make their human interest story overtly political <laughs> and attack the current government fair enough that's not something you can do when the interview is live and oh boy was the 630 chad one live uh, i'm sure the cat was the one who made this had to be a coalition didn't want to go to a second vote didn't want to risk losing their position <laughs> of power and just wanted to cling to power am i right troy well so I'd like to address that, Shay, because there have been allegations of voter fraud, uh -huh. and Addy makes this promise to the voters. He was working very hard to fire the elections commissioner. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love it. That was great. I just loved how you could hear the discomfort in <laughs> the two hosts, and they're just like, we got to say zing and move on. Yeah. And move on, they did. Yeah. Um, speaking of moving on, the city is moving on from COVID complete shutdowns and we have some latest news on the relaunch we have another week of the state of local emergency renewed again 12 to 1 uh i missed who the naysayer was but i have to assume it was good old john d from ward 3 uh we learned a little bit more about what the city is doing to relaunch now that the province is into stage one so they talked about shared streets, which started on May 6th, and the retail patio expansion, which took effect this week on May 19th. So they've relaxed restrictions for, for new patios. Starting uh, the day this episode comes out, Friday, May 22nd, sports, play, and open spaces amenities will start to open. And then next week, Animal Care and Control Center. And then in June, we can look forward to paying for parking once again and the Valley Zoo. But let's go back to tomorrow, May 22nd. Sports, play, and open spaces means tennis courts. It's tennis courts! I'm unconvinced. Look. <laughs> I was so excited for you. I messaged you when I was listening to the, the council meeting. I'm like, Troy, you're going to get your tennis court. You were not the only one. I wasn't tuning in to council's meeting today, but I knew what was happening because my Twitter feed was full of people saying, for example, at K Tomissa, at Troy Pavlik, your dreams are coming true, tennis ball emoji, at Vic Jones, oh, thank God, at Troy Pavlik will finally get to pick up his racket and balls, or at Brian McLean. Tennis, 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 all caps. Um, these were on my Twitter feed. However, tennis courts aren't 
actually opening tomorrow, are they? No. So in commentary about this, the interim city manager, Adam Lachlan, basically said that it'll take a little bit longer for tennis courts. He said, quote, due to the efforts needed to clean the surfaces and install nets, end quote. So not as simple as cleaning the monkey bars, I guess. Yeah, well, and even the playgrounds, they said they're not even going to take down all of the caution tape. You can just go play on the playgrounds with the tape up there. I get it. Putting up a net does take some man hours and like, I'll survive. It's raining this week anyway. I can now end my vindictive tennis tirade and we can focus on the actual news, which is... (laughs) That we are reopening. Sports courts are reopening. Um, did we get any news on e-scooters? I know we had wondered about that. As far as I know, e-scooters and day camps are also still being assessed. So the city's not sure about those yet. Um, the other one that we've had some questions about is the Edmonton Public Library. So I called them today and got a statement from uh, CEO Pilar Martinez, who said, quote, EPL continues to follow the direction provided by the province and Alberta Health. Uh, Later in the quote, she says, uh, like our customers, we are eager to reopen when it is safe to do so and are planning our recovery using the provincial guidelines, end quote. So they don't actually have a reopening date yet, but they are eligible under the provincial stage two guidelines to open. So I guess if all goes well and we get to stage two, we should hear some news about the library. But they don't actually have any guidelines, right? Because even in stage one, it was days before stage one launched that anyone got any guidelines whatsoever. So EPL probably isn't operating off anything right now. And and, and those guidelines that they're talking about are really, yeah, as you say, really broad strokes. They've left a lot of it up to the organizational bodies themselves to you know, help determine businesses of that type, whether or not they want to open. So, you know, the medical organizations for dentists and pharmacies and all of that deciding when they when they want to open or not. So the public library is going to have to figure that out as well. I did ask them how they're going to make that decision if they get to do it or if um, it's up to the city. And, and they basically said it's a collaborative decision. They're part of the management council. And so they'll obviously get some probably strong input from administration on on when they should open. So we're getting ePark fees back on June 8th. I'm sure everyone's pretty excited about that. They love paying their user fees. But one user fee that we're still not paying is transit. And this week, Mayor Don Iveson sort of came out of left field suggesting that Edmonton might shut down public transit this summer. He did an interview with CBC and said, quote, The idea of spending less on it in the warmer months so that we have more to spend in the colder months is just one possible scenario, end quote. He was talking, of course, about how the city's facing millions of dollars in lost revenue and and also costs because of transit. I think the estimate is around a net loss, even after the reduction in service and all of that, of like $30 million to the budget. It could go up, obviously, the longer this goes on. One solution would be to start charging for transit again, I would think. But anyway, the damage was done when this interview came out and uh, he had to clarify on Twitter the next day that, quote, shutting down transit would be an absolute last resort for us, end quote. The interesting numbers is uh, good old John D from Ward 3 posted on Facebook about he was asking city admin to, well, if we're losing $10 million on transit every month, why don't we just instate user fees and get that $10 million back? And I Facebook comment warriored about it. Normally, transit are funded about like half to two thirds from uh, our tax levy and then about a third to a half from user fees. It varies. The target is around 40%, but it goes up and down. 
John D posted, well, let's save $10 million a month by just uh, charging fares again. But transit ridership has actually dropped 80%. So if we assume we're normally getting, say, 120 million, 140 million from user fees every year for transit, then 80% drop means we're losing maybe $2 million a month by not collecting user fees. And maybe we're saving that by not having drivers contract COVID, not installing extra shields, not having to worry about rapidly implementing smart fare, though maybe some people wouldn't complain (laughs) about that. The charging for transit, I really think is a non-starter issue. The problem with transit is that there's just a base operating cost to make it function and to have the buses on the road. And we don't have the ridership right now to sustain that. What we do to solve that, I don't know. Maybe we shut down transit. But Don Iverson wasn't actually serious about that. Why do you think he said that? Because, you know, transit is one of those core essential services that a city provides. He is known by many as the transit mayor. Why would he suggest we shut it down, do you think? I think what he was trying to do here was he was trying to make a big statement to the province. Right now, the province is not helping us. The feds aren't really helping us. Him and the Federation of Canadian Municipalities have been saying we need like $10 billion to backstop municipalities that can't run deficits to handle the COVID-19 pandemic. So a transit mayor stepping up and saying we might shut down transit because we have no money to keep it running, that's supposed to make waves. I think it made the wrong waves for him. Yeah, I agree with your assessment. I think that is definitely the intent. And he was probably hoping that Jason Kenney would address it as he's addressed some other things this week. We'll get to that. Uh, But instead, you spotted another Facebook post from good old Mike Nickel. (sighs) We'll put this, I guess, in the show notes. Mike Nickel, this is going to be an exhausting year and a half because he decided that he would post an image of Kermit the Frog drinking Lipton iced tea with the very long image macro text. <laughs> it's very long. So the city makes transit fares free. Then free fares make our transit extra broke. Now the mayor wants to shut down public transit? Question mark. But don't worry. We have found dollar, dollar, dollar to address dozens of emergency bike lanes. Probably have enough left over to sneak in a gondola. Gotta say, this is boomer comedy. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Like, very comedy cemetery right here. But it got enough attention that uh, Andrew Knack started replying on Twitter, there's no such thing as an emergency bike lane, which I guess that's where we're at. These two are at it again. That's that's where our discourse is municipally. But we won't talk about Mike Nickel much. Iveson, of course, clarified his statements later that it wasn't actually talking about shutting down transit. Right. Councillor Paquette, who's made the case for free transit before, he also chimed in on this, tweeting, quote, hard to make the case that a service that drives, in all caps, our economy, almost $2 billion in economic benefit a year for the $360 million price, he says, is costing us money, end quote. One thing that is interesting to note is transit we are able to scale it down. So while transit normally costs us $300 million a year, we are able to scale it down with reducing ridership. You know what we're not able to scale down? What's that? The white mud. All our major (laughs) roadways that are completely empty right now and have cost us billions of dollars, those can't be scaled down when they have less usage. Uh, So 
we're still filling potholes and in fact spending a lot of money on road maintenance. Uh, perhaps that's a place to look if city council wants to save some money. Or provincially, if we want to get some money from the province, as they just announced their twinning Ray Gibbon Drive out in St. Albert, you know, expanding roads to uh, even more lanes than they already are. And they've been pretty silent on the issue of funding for municipalities. So you already mentioned um, that the FCM has been pushing for this federally. And uh, the mayor and the other mayors of the regional municipalities around Edmonton sent a letter to the province basically asking for provincial support, uh, saying, for quote, for the residents and businesses in our region who continue to rely on municipal services, inaction is simply not an option, end quote. Keith Drine wrote a column about this that was really interesting a couple of weeks ago, which is essentially he pulled a bunch of quotes that you would assume are from Iveson about the other orders of government needing to fund municipalities. And they turned out to be from every mayor that you can think of from the past five decades in Edmonton. Mm. And this refrain of municipalities have it pretty tough. Our funding model doesn't work is true, but pretty tired. I honestly don't feel any urgency when I read about Iveson saying we have a $10 billion need that needs to be backfilled because I've just heard it before. And I don't know if that's really harming FCM's letter right now. Well, I think it might be, but also just the relationship between the different orders of government make it easy for them to, you know, point fingers and not actually do anything about it. So, you know, the prime minister did address this this week uh, in response to the increased noise about it, I guess, uh, about from municipalities. And he said, you know, we, you know, we essentially, they recognize that they're seeing massive drops in revenues. Um, but he said, quote, and we know that cities are the responsibility of the provinces. But I highlighted that the federal government is eager to hear from the provinces how we can support cities. We're continuing to look to do so, but recognize the provincial jurisdiction in this, end quote. So he's trying to be a friend to the municipalities and say, look, we see you're in pain right now and you have this you know, financial challenge, but we can't really do anything because it's the province. And of course, the province of Alberta and the gov federal government don't have the best relationship right now. Well, and even more fascinating, we had talked about this previously, the UCP had attempted to pass legislation that basically said municipalities can't negotiate with the federal government independent of the province. Right. All federal funding has to come through the province, which that further drives up that antagonistic wedge and separates the federal government from our municipalities. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of collaboration, we had the two Alberta mayors of Alberta's largest cities amping up the collaboration rhetoric this week, and unfortunately, sort of irreparably harming the reputation of the Battle of Alberta. Yeah, this is another interview with CBC that caught my eye. Uh, they were talking, of course, about the role of municipalities in, in the recovery of the pandemic and, and the financial challenges that they face. And Mayor Iveson said, quote, when it comes to job and prosperity and inclusion and justice and opportunity, I think it's time for us to grow up and embrace an urban vision of, of Alberta that is of benefit to the rural areas and all of the regional centers, end quote. I mean, he's obviously going to push the agenda of a big city because he's the mayor of a big city but tried to include rural areas in there. I, I thought it was interesting because, of course, we had kind of heard nothing about collaboration between Edmonton and, and Calgary since the fiscal framework for the city charters was ripped up. That file kind of went silent. And I know a pandemic happened, and, and that's probably why, but it's interesting that Iveson and Nenshi have now started to talk about working together again. 
Now, this is just my urbanist utopian naivety, but when I read articles like that, all I can think is we're making a pitch for regional collaboration with the region being Edmonton and Calgary, and this means passenger rail is going to go from Edmonton to Calgary. (laughs) A study has been done on that every year for the past 11 billion years, and none have recommended it, but I'm still hopeful. Oh, no response. Sorry. That is the correct response <laughs> to it. You're right. I mean, yeah, it would be a good thing to have, I guess. But I, it's so hard because I get excited about the idea. I agree it would be a good thing. It'd make it easier to get between the two cities. But then I look at a price tag and I'm like, there are so many other things we could spend money on. It's just, yeah, I guess no response is the right one. One thing maybe we should spend the money on is uh, padding the NHL's coffers some more. Um <laughs> Maybe (laughs) (laughs) the NHL, well, not the NHL, the Oilers have uh, pitched a bid to the NHL to basically be one of the NHL hub cities and host some potential playoff games for the season that was suspended due to COVID-19. And this article and set of discussions really caught our eye. So what's being pitched here? So this is, of course, the NHL recognizing that they will lose a ton of money if they don't get anything going this season. I, you know, realistically, I'm not sure what this looks like because we're pretty much at June already. You know, they would have to quarantine everybody for two weeks. So you're halfway through the month before they get to do anything, maybe longer. Like we're going to be into September when we have preseason already, like just cancel the season and move on. But anyway, they want to have a season. They have this idea of hub cities, which is instead of having people travel or all the teams travel around to various cities, they would pick, you know, one or two or three. Originally, it was four for the various conferences or or divisions and then all the teams would go to those locations and they would play there and they would finish the season in the just those locations because they could control things a little bit better and so edmonton has been aggressively behind the scenes and now this week more publicly pushing to be one of these hub cities and it got to the point this week that the premier jason kenny talked about this in his news conference and said Quote, I can't imagine a better place to come to than the home of the Edmonton Oilers or this province that has done so much for the sport of hockey and for the NHL for decades, end quote. And so that was a good political win, and that kind of opened the door for everyone else to talk about it more more publicly. Um, But very quickly, of course, some of the pros they see for coming to Edmonton is that we have a brand new arena. That arena is attached to to a hotel and there's a pedway so you can control access to it it's a five-star hotel or you know a very high quality hotel there's lots of amenities for rich players who are used to having good amenities i guess um and importantly alberta and and edmonton in particular have not been as hit hard uh, by covid19 as many other places so that is all in our favor I thought it was really interesting, and you just highlighted it as well. One of the assets of this was we've got all this brand new fancy stuff that is essentially quarantined from the rest of the city. And in the COVID scenario, you're like, great, that makes sense. In the general case, it sounds a lot like rich people don't want to interact with the proletariat outside their pedways. Maybe that's a criticism on Ice District, but the idea that this is separated from the rest of the city was sold as an asset right now when by all measures that's been something we've been complaining about the lack of integration of rogers place to the lrt system for example is just a crucial example of well isn't this an indictment against rogers place rather than an asset though 
for COVID, I guess everything's upended. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about it is, so what if the arena's new? Like, we won't have any spectators. They'll all <laughs> still be at home on watching TV from their couch. Like, only the players are going to be in the building. You don't. You need an ice surface. That's all you need. I don't. I don't understand that aspect of it. Uh, the other person who who made a public statement about the idea this week was Mayor Iveson. He tweeted a link to a letter that he sent to Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner. In the letter, one thing in particular caught my eye. He said, quote, by bringing hockey back to a smaller market, the NHL would generate a significant boost to a great hockey city that has long labored to create conditions to support the game, end quote. And there's kind of two things that stood out for me there. So the first is, as I said, you know, what kind of economic boost is there going to be? Bars and restaurants are only just starting to reopen. Not all of them are. You won't be able to go to these games in person. You know, a lot of the argument around the economic activity that it might generate, I think, is questionable. Uh, the other aspect that, you know, made me think of is, you know, we've created conditions to support the game. I think he's really referring to, like, look at this deal we made to build this arena in the first place, you know, to keep hockey here in Edmonton. And of course, one of the aspects of that deal was a ticket tax which we're not collecting anymore because there are no events at Rogers Place, which is further impacting, you know, the city's financials. So not only are we having our politicians pitch the NHL once again, we're potentially doing it when we're already losing more money than we would have normally because of hockey. So it's a bit of a questionable argument how this is actually going to bring anything to Edmonton other than, you know, a morale boost, I guess. Just going by historically how the NHL operates and how hockey operates, I don't think this is going to be a free thing. Like the NHL comes in, sets up, they do all the uh, distancing and physical infrastructure that they need to meet public health guidelines. I suspect the city is going to be on the hook for some of that if we win the bid, which when we're talking about the cost of emergency bike lanes really battering the fiscal coffers of the city... I don't know that that's a good look right now. Absolutely. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, more Edmontonians like the Oilers than bike lanes. And so that's probably what this is about. You know, they think they're going to get a lot of uh, political support from Edmontonians, from voters, if they do the right thing and support hockey, I guess. You know, I'm I, I'm sounding very negative about this. I would be happy to have some hockey come back. It'd be great to watch. I do like watching the Oilers. Fiscally, yeah, not a good look, as you say. I do think it would be an interesting story. That's part of the whole COVID discussion that sort of goes undersold. Right now, it sucks. That's we we can all agree with that. But there's going to be, you know, 20 years in hindsight, the same sort of discussion around like you had Gander Airport right after 9/11. That probably sucked a lot for the people living in Gander having three times the population of their city moving in, scrambling to find homes for all these people and gathering together food. But it makes a really good Broadway musical. Maybe hockey in Edmonton during COVID is going to be the next come from away. I'm optimistic. There you go. I could get behind that. Yeah. We will leave that up to the uh, writers of the Broadway show. And speaking of writers, today's pod power shout out 
is a poetry podcast presented by the Writers Guild of Alberta. It's called Let's Get Lit. In each episode, hosts Rayanne Haynes and Matthew Stepanek interview poets based in Alberta and Western Canada about the power of poetry to support and promote arts and literacy. They enjoy a glass of wine chosen to match the poet's personality and style while learning more about each poet and asking why poetry matters. You can listen to Let's Get Lit on Audio Boom or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find out more at writersguild.ca. And thanks again to ATB for making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. And that's all for this week. We came in under time this week, so go us. Yeah, you have so many things to do right <laughs> now, so we saved you a little bit of time to go do them. You can go play tennis. Let's be real. That's what everyone is going to be doing this week. Tennis courts are going to have lineups around the block. If it stops raining. That's all we've got for this week. We will be back next week and the week after that. And until time immemorial, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.